0: Welcome to the Semper Reformator Podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. Let me turn back to Revelation chapter five. And I want to look today at verse eleven down to verse fourteen. Revelation five verse eleven to verse fourteen. And I want to see the expansion of the praise of Christ and the content of the praise of Christ and the unison that is involved in the praise of Christ. The chapter, as we know, is essentially about the church worshipping Jesus. And in it we see our praise, the praise of the local gathered church from an earthly perspective but praise ascending to glory. And to be seen from a heavenly perspective, in Revelation 5, we see how God looks at our praise when it has ascended to him. So we're getting a heavenly perspective on our worship. And that worship united with the worship of believers from every age, every nation, and every culture we've seen how creation worships god and we've seen how the church worships the lamb now in verse 11 we're joined by the angels verse 11 says i beheld and i heard the voice of many angels round about the throne john's vision grows it's like concentric circles going out from around the throne and there's another circle added as the heavenly hosts of angels join to praise the lamb but there's a distinction isn't there between the praise of the church and the praise of the angels one day i was walking through a room in my previous church and I overheard a conversation that made me stop. You really shouldn't listen to people's conversations. Sure you shouldn't. But as I was going through the room, I heard one of the people in that room talking about a little lady called Annie who had just passed away and whose funeral had just taken place in the church. And Annie was a Christian. And we know that when a believer dies, they go immediately into the presence of the Lord and as I walked through this room I heard one of the women in the room saying to another person you know it's wonderful Annie will be singing with the angels and I butted in I'm going to ask you was I right to butt in not because I was being rude I'm going to ask you a theological question I said no she wasn't or no she won't be the poor lady was horrified what? what? Did you think Annie wasn't a Christian? Is she not in heaven? Oh, I, I know she was a Christian, all right. But she'll be singing a song that the angels can't sing. She'll be singing the song of the redeemed. Because creation, which will be redeemed creation, and the redeemed of the Lord his people in Revelation 5 and verse 9 are singing a new song they're singing thou art worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and hath redeemed us to God by your blood the angels can't sing that song the angels are unfallen the angels that are around the throne. They were never redeemed by the shed blood of the Lamb who was slain. They have not been adopted into God's family. They have not known the blessings and the benefits of redemption. They have not known what it means to be made kings and priests unto God. They are created to bring praise and glory to the triune God. Remember what the shepherds saw in Luke chapter 2 and verse 13, where it says, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Goodwill. Toward men. the angelic hosts are praising here they're around the throne they're in this outer circle but they're not singing the song of the redeemed so they're not they're praising the Lord not for their redemption but because of our redemption they're praising God because we have been redeemed And because he is worthy to be praised. Matthew Henry here comments, though they did not need a saviour themselves, yet they rejoice in the redemption and salvation of sinners. And they agree with the church in acknowledging the infinite merits of the Lord Jesus as dying for sinners, that he is worthy and the expansion of the praise of Christ. Can you imagine what it would be like in the midst of that heavenly throng, singing a new song, singing with a loud voice, says verse 12, or rather saying with a loud voice. I'm going to see the content of the praise of Christ. They're praising him with this loud voice. I can imagine so. Look at the number that's here. There's the entirety of the heavenly host. There's angels that cannot even be counted in verse 11. Ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. You couldn't even begin to count the number of these angels. And they're all praising at the same time. Imagine the volume. And what are they praising him for? Just look at the text for a moment. Verse 12. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. They're praising him for his great omnipotence. For his great possessions. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. All creation is his. For his omniscience, his all-knowing, his everlasting endurance, he is from everlasting to everlasting. For his preeminence, he is crowned with honor and glory and blessing. Now let's do some application. Remember what we learned in the opening verses of this chapter. Remember that there was a scroll that no one could open. And remember that we learned that it's the scroll of destiny. It's the plan of God for his creation, and in particular for us, for human beings, for mankind. And unless that scroll can be opened and enacted, then the entire universe is lost. But no one can open it. And so John fell into uncontrollable weeping because no one could open the scroll. And then we see Jesus, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb who was slain, the one who was worthy to take the scroll and open the seals and take destiny into his hands. Take control. And when he does that, All of creation and all of the redeemed and all of the angels burst forth into this great celebration of praise. Why? Because Jesus is in control of history, He's in control of the destiny of the world, He's in control of the destiny of mankind. He's in control of my destiny. He's in control of your destiny. Now, I want you to grasp that fact very firmly. Jesus is in control. The scroll has been opened. He is in control of everything. That's the Christian response to those people who want to cull the human race because they think it'll save the planet. The climate change alarmist cult. The people who think that the way to bring a future for this earth is to depopulate it. The answer is that Jesus is in control. In fact Jesus is and has absolute power. I want you to turn with me in your Bible to first Chronicles twenty-nine and verse eleven. First Chronicles chapter twenty-nine and verse eleven and Here is David blessing the Lord. In verse 10 it says, David said, Blessed be thy, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Verse 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord. Thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honour come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thy hand is power and might, and in thy hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. A little aside We'll see this next week, perhaps. There are some people who look at Revelation and read it in the light of Matthew chapter 24. That's entirely wrong. Revelation should be read in the light of the Old Testament. We'll perhaps see that. But when you read that verse in First Chronicles chapter 29, you can think that John must have been remembering those words. What amazing authority rests in the hands of Jesus. He is all-powerful. Now I'm telling that for a reason. Because if that kind of power and authority rested in the hands of a single man or a government or an earthly power, that unbridled authority and power would be extremely dangerous, wouldn't it? They say that power corrupts They say that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Think of the corruption that goes on in the corridors of power in national governments. Our Prime Minister, our present Prime Minister, is the first in a very long time to have actually been convicted of an offence while in office. Politics is corrupt, but our destiny doesn't rely on governments. It relies on Jesus, who is sinless and who is perfectly good and who will act on our behalf for our blessing and for our salvation. The one who holds our destiny in his hands is a ruler who will not only rule us fairly and justly, but who will actually give his life for those over whom he rules. He is the mighty lion who is simultaneously the lamb who was slain. And because of that, because he has absolute power, we can trust him. Who are you trusting with your future? There's many self-proclaimed and elected potential rulers and powerful people in this world who want to control your destiny just now thinking of Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum he wants to control your destiny he wants you to own nothing, he wants to take your property rights away so that you'll be happy and he's got his great reset plan, he wants you to live in a smart city where you won't have access to travel and your privacy will be invaded and your money and your financial independence will be monitored and restricted and then there's the unelected commissioners of the European Union and the warmongers of NATO and the imperialists of the USA who want to interfere continually in your affairs. And then there's big Tech, isn't there? People like Bill Gates who wants to cut the world's population drastically wants to make more billions than he even has by forcing you to take mandatory medicines. And coming down to a more local level there is the local politicians like well even ones from down south like Mary Lou Macdonald who wants to coerce you into a 32 county socialist republic where you'll have no access to free health care and you'll be made a second-class citizen. And if you're in Australia just now with Mary Lou, you can pay 2,000 euros to get sitting beside her at a dinner. And so she's getting rich. Would you trust any of those people? Would you trust one of them? I wouldn't. These powerful, shadowy men and women who rule this world, every one of them using whatever level of power they have for their own ends, They're going to abuse and distort power. They're going to use it for malicious purposes. Now, think about these churches that John's writing to. Think about the people, these churches in Asia Minor, who have received this initial letter from John with this vision in it. Tiny minority of believers planted in the heart of one of the most evil empires that this world has ever known, the Roman Empire. And they must have looked at the great power of Rome, and they must have thought, we're overwhelmed, we're numerically small, we're in a hopeless position. And John says, but wait, your destiny doesn't lie in the plans of Rome. Your destiny doesn't lie in the throne of Rome. Your destiny doesn't lie with the ruler, with the Caesar of Rome. Your destiny is in the hands of Christ. He's in control. Not the politicians, not the bureaucrats, not the securocrats. Jesus holds my destiny and yours in his hand. It wasn't too long before the great mighty empire of Rome had fallen. The church is still here. And surrounding me and surrounding the church and surrounding you, both in heaven and earth, is a great host that no man can number. Myriads of angels, saints of every age, The whole world and the universe. We are not alone in this wicked world. Our future, our destiny, and the destiny of our children are in the hands of Christ. They're not in the hands of the World Economic Forum. Somebody said the EU wants to ban petrol cars by 2035. Somebody else says, sure, the EU may not be around in 2035 the Lord Jesus may have come so what's our lesson here A lesson for the church is that we can get far too easily distracted looking at shadowy figures seemingly powerful people who strut the stage of this world They've been doing it within the past couple of weeks. We've had the G7 and we've had the NATO summit. Look, all of those puny wee men will fall before Christ one day. Let's remember that our ultimate home is not on this earth. It is to be among the great throng around the throne of God. Let's turn for confirmation of this. To Hebrews chapter twelve. And verse one. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. See, author of the Hebrews is saying the same thing as John saying to those persecuted Christians. He says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to note one more thing in this particular section because I want you to see what the created world says in verse 13. This is important too, to get a proper perspective on the way this world is being run at the minute by earthly, ungodly people. Look at verse 13 in our passage in Revelation 5. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are as in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honour and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever you'll hear a lot of talk now and in the future about saving the planet they're going to make saving the planet a health issue so they can control it, control you. I've got bad news for them. The planet's not on their side. The planet's on our side. The planet's on God's side. John looks at the natural world here, joining in the praise of the Lamb, and he tells us that they're worshiping God as are the saints, and here's why. The planet is not going to last forever in its present state. We can tell that to Greta and everybody else. Calm down, girl. The planet's not going to last the way it is. Just like us, this planet has fallen, and it's burdened by Adam's sin, and it's ruined, and it's dying, and it's spinning out of control, but yet the planet, too, has a destiny. And I want you to turn one final text in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Here's the verse you need to underline For the earnest expectation of the creature, the creation, waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. That'll be on the last day. Verse 20 For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly. But by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, verse 21, because the creature, the creation itself, shall also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Not only they, but ourselves also. Down to the bottom of the verse, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body, resurrection day. Planet is on God's side. All of creation, the whole of the universe, damaged by Adam's sin, is waiting for Jesus on the last day, when creation will be restored to its pre-fall condition. And around the throne of God the whole of the created order rejoices in the praises of the creator. Lastly, in verse 14 we have the unison of the praise of Christ. The four living creatures the four beasts said Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worship him that liveth forever and ever. Christ holds my destiny. In his hands the powerful Christ is it any wonder that the church and creation bow the knee before him and cry, is Allah. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.